Welcome to Reclaiming Rest Radio, a ministry by which I coin myself an unworthy, ordinary saint sinner that's on mission to encourage his brothers and sisters to rest in the worthy Christ and the extraordinary gospel. I'm Justin Joseph, your host, and I thank you for joining me. Uh, Today is the first part two of the show. Uh, On the previous episode, I introduced how concepts surrounding the Reformation and the doctrines it recovered help believers find rest in Christ. Uh, Specifically, I covered the five solas in various uh, levels of detail and how those relate to God's sovereignty in salvation. I will continue the train of thought today by covering a list of four C categories and two non-C categories, also with various levels of detail. And for what it's worth, Don't have the impression at the end that this two-parter will be the only occasion that involves my handling of these subjects. As I said on the previous episode, this stuff informs my thinking and perspective. Okay, so the four C's are... Calvinism, Covenant Theology, and Creedal and Confessional. And the two non-C categories are the Law Gospel Distinction and the Ordinary Means of Grace. Now, unsurprisingly, I will start at the top uh, with Calvinism. So, as it concerns the sinful condition of man, that man meets no condition in order for God to save, that what Christ did was for his people, that his people were spiritually dead sinners that God brought and brings to life, and that God preserves his people from the moment of justification to the point of glorification, those statements, in a way, summarize and represent Calvinism, otherwise known as the doctrines of grace, uh, tying back to sola gratia. And for what it's worth, they comprise far more than the infamous TULIP acronym that you might already know about. Now, why is there rest in the doctrines of grace? Again, we don't meet a condition uh, to be saved. Christ met every condition for us. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God gave us life 
and he preserves us. Even so, it isn't lost on me that some, if not many, wonder if those realities actually apply to them. But when we have confidence and trust in our Heavenly Father, it is restful and life-changing. But to try to encourage those of you that are haunted by questions like, Am I elect? Did it register that I emphasized confidence and trust in our Heavenly Father? I think that asking ourselves, Am I elect? only serves to distract us from what's actually important, looking to and trusting Christ. And then you might ask, how do I know if I'm looking to and trusting Christ? Brothers and sisters, again, I think that is a distraction. We could individually ask ourselves endless questions like that and be in despair every day. I don't want that for us, but more importantly, our Heavenly Father doesn't want that for us. Our looking to and trusting Christ will never be perfect. Brothers and sisters, let us look and trust and not worry about the quality of either. Remember, Christ is the object of our faith. Faith doesn't save us. Christ saves us. We are not saved by knowing that we're elect. We are saved by Christ. Plenty of Christians are with him right now, despite not having known that they were elect. Brothers and sisters, may the wonderful doctrines of grace help us to rest. They point us to Christ. Let us look to and trust him. Next. Covenant Theology Covenant Theology is the understanding that Scripture is organized according to three covenants, uh, or you might hear, according to a tricovenantal framework. Uh, And they are the Covenant of Redemption, the Covenant of Works, and the Covenant of Grace. The covenant of redemption can be found in Ephesians chapter 1, where we learn that the Trinitarian Godhead covenanted in eternity past to save a people. The covenant of works is found in God's commands to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, along with statements Paul makes about Adam and Christ in Romans, uh, chapter 5 in particular. 
If Adam had obeyed, humanity would have earned eternal life, uh, which was symbolized by the tree of life. Um, but he fell, as did the rest of us, along with him, into sin, death, and chaos. Genesis 3.15 is the first revelation of the covenant of grace, whereby God promised the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And from Genesis 3.15 on, Scripture progressively reveals and unfolds across all sorts of events, including all sorts of people, God's plan that we learn about in Ephesians 1. Every person and event recorded in Scripture in some way ties back to Genesis 3.15 and God's promise to save His people, Jew and Gentile, uh, through His promised one, Jesus Christ. Uh, Brothers and sisters, that God made himself personally responsible for our redemption should help us to rest, knowing that he has done it all. Because of the covenant of grace determined in the covenant of redemption, we are no longer under the covenant of works. Uh, Unbelievers are under the covenant of works. And that is why they stand condemned, as I mentioned while talking about Sologratia in the previous episode. Okay, the final two C's, creedal and confessional. Um, Those tie into what I said on the previous episode about Sola Scriptura. So, I'm aware that many believers are suspicious of the creeds and confessions. And they're allowed to be, but I don't think that does Christians or the church any favors. Um, The opposite, actually. Uh, For starters, the fact is that the Spirit indwells every New Covenant believer the same. He guides and teaches us on an individual and collective basis. When New Covenant believers lived is irrelevant. The state of society in which uh, they lived is irrelevant. And to reiterate something I mentioned on the previous episode, we are not the first ones to have read and studied Scripture. It is my opinion that to ignore or dismiss the resources that have been produced by our brothers and sisters across church history is a demonstration of ignorance, 
foolishness, even arrogance. Again, it's important to emphasize they were indwelt by the Spirit. The fruits of their labors have, at minimum, helped the church to condemn a slew of heresies that have been taught and propagated, many of which still, unfortunately, influence Christians and the church and even society today. Take the Nicene Creed, for instance. That was authored in part as a response to the heresy of Arianism. A man by the name of Arius asserted that Jesus Christ is a created being. I mentioned on the previous episode that many Christians say, I just believe the Bible. Now, as a side note, I think that statement is quite silly, frankly. No Christian would say, I don't believe the Bible. So, if Arius the heretic was alive today, I think that he would be among their ranks. And in his just believing the Bible, as a result of Colossians 1.15 in particular, which states that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation, he taught that Christ is a created being. Thankfully, our brothers like Athanasius confronted that uh, as it destroys the person and work of Christ, and by extension, the gospel. Unfortunately, today, uh, those that identify as Mormon, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, and perhaps others, they believe and teach some angle of that heresy. So, it is good and healthy to be creedal and confessional. It helps churches to hold their elders accountable in terms of their preaching and teaching and how they care for souls. It helps churches to avoid heresies like Arianism, and also to avoid another prevalent problem in churches known as Biblicism. You see, what Arius did with Colossians 1.15 is an example. By zeroing in on one verse of Scripture, by taking its particular wording and sentence structure literally, by failing to consider the immediate and larger contexts, he drew a conclusion that is heresy. Brothers and sisters, the creeds and confessions guard us from these problems. I think we do well 
to take them seriously, uh, to welcome and subscribe to them, and not ignore or dismiss them simply because of the time that has passed since they're being authored and adopted, uh, or whatever other reasons people might have. Now, I acknowledge that neither creeds nor confessions are inspired, so they're imperfect. But they nevertheless represent years and years worth of blood, sweat, and tears poured into the practice of systematic theology uh, and the defense of biblical truth, and all with great reverence of Scripture's authority. You know, for what it's worth, I mentioned in the previous episode that I subscribe to the Second London Baptist Confession, but I don't subscribe to every jot and tittle of it. You know, for example, I don't believe the Pope is the Antichrist, uh, but I do believe the papacy is an Antichrist office. Uh, apart from that side note, believe it or not, but what you might encounter in terms of no creed but Christ, no confession but the Bible, is ironically a creed. And believe it or not, but every doctrinal statement, every what we believe page on church websites, every non-Bible book about theology and or doctrine, every commentary, the notes in every study Bible, those are all forms of a confession. A confession is nothing more than an expression of what someone uh, or a group of people believes Scripture to say and teach. So, ironically, every Christian at least uses creeds and confessions. Many just don't bother with the ones which have existed for centuries. And I ask, why? It causes so many otherwise avoidable problems, and is just a form of reinventing the wheel. Why leave the job of interpreting, uh, preaching, and teaching scripture in the hands of people that can do whatever they please with it? when that job has already been done for us through many people God has used before. People that were intelligent, wise, uh, discerning, and again, filled with the same spirit that fills us. Brothers and sisters, we don't need more Arius types. And why not benefit from years 
and years worth of gospel and Christ-centered resources. They help us to rest. Anyway, I hope all that is food for thought. Let's move on to the non-C categories. Starting with the law gospel distinction. Scripture distinguishes God's law from his gospel. Another way of framing that is the commands or imperatives in Scripture fall under the category of law, while anything which indicates the truths or indicatives of the nature of our salvation, the person and work of Christ, the believer's identity and union with Christ, etc., falls under the category of gospel. Uh, consider a beloved verse, Matthew 11.28, uh, part of which happens to be in the top banner of Reclaiming Rest on Twitter and Facebook. Christ invites anyone heavy laden by the burden of laboring for God's approval to come to him in faith because he alone did what was necessary for believers to have God's acceptance. And that's why he promises rest. There is no rest in works of the law because sinners cannot satisfy the law's demands. But there is rest in trusting Christ, who did that for us. Finally, the ordinary means of grace. If you're not familiar with that, I wouldn't be surprised if it sounds at least a little strange. Uh, first of all, what is meant by ordinary. Uh, one could argue that it's the opposite of extraordinary or extraordinary, you know, the a term I attach to the gospel in my intros of the show. And for this topic, in a sense, I think that's true. Uh, beyond that, scripture teaches that God has ordained primary means through which he promises to speak to, nourish, uh, grow, transform, um, and sustain his people in their faith, and that this occurs especially within the context of their weekly gathering. What are the means? Well, that depends on whom you ask, but generally I've understood them to at least include the preaching of God's Word, uh, the Lord's Table, also known as Communion, uh, Baptism, 
and prayer. Uh, you might also encounter singing, uh, the fellowship of the saints, and other concepts. Now, I think it's important to emphasize uh, these means are experienced through basic human interaction. Um, it can be verbal or nonverbal. Uh, they comprise everyday earthly things. In the case of preaching God's word, you have the printed scriptures, which are comprised of paper and ink. And no, I'm not including, you know, being able to read it di digitally through tablets, phones, etc. Um, then you have communion, uh, which we have juice or wine um, and some form of bread. And then, of course, with baptism, we have water. Uh, finally, uh, the means don't require special preparation on the part of gathered believers in order for them to experience them. So, despite there being no official list per se, uh, the New Testament, uh, the epistles in particular, they teach that the Word, the sacraments, a term for communion and baptism, um, and prayer are God's means to accomplish the things uh, I mentioned earlier. You know, speaking to, uh, nourishing, growing, transforming, and sustaining his people. And they're a precious way for believers to individually and collectively experience rest. Okay, that about does it for the C and non-C categories. Uh, please know that what I've shared across this two-parter uh, doesn't come close to exhausting everything that came out of the Reformation. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I now wish to give you, the listener-viewer, uh, a brief heads-up that there are pastors and lay Christians uh, with significant platforms online that celebrate the Reformation. And that's all fine and good, I suppose, but... It is my sincere and, I believe, accurate conclusion that what these people preach and teach and how they care for souls contradicts one or more of these concepts I've presented. Much of what we can read and hear from such people is capable of causing Tremendous damage in terms of assurance and rest. I won't name names here, but hopefully that will put a you know, bug in your ear, so to speak. Okay, brothers and sisters, thank you for taking the time to 
hear me out uh, on how the concepts surrounding the Reformation and the doctrines it recovered help us to rest. I think they provide rich encouragement, hope, and blessedness to all that embrace them, because Scripture does that when preached, taught, uh, and read through these lenses. I invite you to continue with me on this journey to properly understand uh, and be actually excited about what Scripture says and teaches concerning salvation uh, and assurance and rest for God's people. I urge us to think about these things uh, and ask for our Father's blessing as we do. Uh, And again, I pray that we will be always reforming and restful while we do it.